Just a reminder, as we continue to worship God, if you're visiting with us, feel I'd encourage you to take one of those green cards in the pew in front of you and fill it out, and you could just pass it to me in the on the way out, just to let us know that you're there. But let us open up in prayer. Father God, we just come together to continue to worship you through the opening of your word. And Lord, I pray that you are indeed glorified. Lord, I want to preach so that you are glorified. I want to speak of you and I want to praise you and praise your name. And Lord, there's no ability to do that outside of you. So Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would help me to preach this sermon with what is needed, with the appropriate power and appropriate affection. Use this sermon to bring glory to your name joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. Over the last little bit, we've been going through a series on the marks of a healthy church, and today we're going to be talking about a topic that um, could be a little hard, called church membership. In late high school, and even in some college, I, I don't know if I've talked to you about this, but I did something called playing softball. Like the yellow, you know, right underneath there. That's for you, Dave, right there. Yeah, I know. I was in the softball in a church league, which isn't very churchy. Uh, there's, there's some people in those leagues that need to grow in sanctification. But now I would like to say that um, I was a top-notch player, but the reality is I and is and was I'm not. Uh, I'm not really into playing sports, as I've talked a lot about, but it was fun to kind of get together and to uh, know some of the men. I'm more of a basketball guy. I'm tall, I'm lengthy, i got long arms, and I'm big. So I play under the net and uh, stick out those elbows. <laughs> but uh, I was playing baseball at this time, and it was a good time of just kind of getting together with some of the men in the church and getting to know them a little bit more. But did you know that you kind of need a baseball glove to play baseball? Yeah, I'm not saying that it's not possible to play without a glove. Um, You could use your hands or the hat that you're wearing, but the reality is, is if you're standing on first base or shortstop and that ball is kind of just wailing at you from the pitcher who already throws a hard ball, you're going to really wish you had a baseball glove, right? I'm not saying that you... Can't, you're just going to really, really, really regret it. Either you try to use your hat and the ball hits you in the face with such force because your hat's flimsy, or you'll use your hand and really wish you had a glove so that your hand didn't look as red as the baseball glove that you should have been wearing is. I say this because this is much like church membership. You may be able to not be part of a local church family for some time, even be part of a community for a bit, but there will be a time when you really wish that you had locked arms with a local body. But let's spend some time answering some of the questions that come up in this this biblical, biblical idea of membership. We really need to answer the first question, is what is membership? 
See, according to the Bible, church membership is a commitment every Christian should make to attend, to love, to serve, and to submit to one another in a body. The Bible calls us to going together with a, a concert group of fellow Christians. The Bible just doesn't call us to, into submission to our church leadership, but to one another. Church membership is this formal relationship between a church and a Christian characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of that person. Notice that I didn't say we, we preach on, on, on membership so that we can get as many people under our control, my control. It's about submitting to one another in a relationship that affirms one another's faith. It's important. A church body affirms a person's profession of faith and baptism as credible. She promises to give oversight to that person's discipleship. By she, I do mean the church, because she is the bride of Christ. The person who is a member submits his or her discipleship to the service and authority of the body and its leaders. Membership is a two-way conversation between the church and the individual and membership of the church. It's like the church says to that individual, we recognize your profession of faith, baptism, and discipleship to Christ as valid. Therefore, we publicly affirm and acknowledge you as belonging to Christ and the oversight of our fellowship. But it's also the individual saying to the church, as far as I can tell, I recognize you as a faithful, gospel-declaring church. I submit my presence and my discipleship to your love and oversight. So church membership is all about a church taking specific responsibility for you and you for the church. You know, it's not about joining a club so that you can get voting privileges. That's not where it starts. It starts way back in an affirmation. But what is the local church? A local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership. A church, a local church, biblically, is a, is a group of people that are coming together who practices the ordinances of communion and, and, and baptism, who worship and open up the word together. That's what a church is. The local church is an institution that Jesus created and authorized to pronounce the gospel of the kingdom, to affirm gospel professors, to oversee their discipleship, and to expose the imposter. We don't join a church as we join clubs. We submit to them as we submit to the government that Paul talks about. See, in our context, we submit to one another. That's what it means. So in the New Testament, there's this word church that you read, and we'll get into some of these passages. And the word for church is ecclesia. We see this example in Acts 11, verse 26, that says that Barnabas and Saul met with the church, ecclesia, in Antioch. And even in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, Paul says that he had, pers- that he had persecuted the church, ecclesia of God. See, the the called-out assembly then is a congregation of believers whom God has called out of the world and into his marvelous light, as 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says. 
So the Greek word ecclesia is based is the basis for our, our, our English understanding of these theological doctrinal terms, like we see ecclesiastical, which is talking about what pertains to the church, and ecclesiology, the study of the doctrine concerning the church, what makes a church a church. When we look at this word in the New Testament, around 90% of this word is used specifically for a local church. There's two ideas. There's the universal church, which is for everyone. Everyone who professes Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is part of the universal church. But when we look at the New Testament, especially with Paul, who writes most of the letters to the church, he's addressing a specific group of people in a specific location. So in the Bible, church doesn't refer to an event. I don't do church. I don't go to church. I am part of the church. It's a people. The church is a family that you belong to by faith in Jesus Christ. And when you trust him, you get his family, the church, for better or worse. We forget the worst part. The events of Sunday morning worship with the preaching and the praying and the singing and the fellowship is what church does when it gathers, but it's not the church. The family is what the church is. And a family is when we take specific responsibility for someone. See, not everyone who enters my home is part of my family, right? We all have this concept of family. I'm not responsible for every single person that comes to my home. Not everyone who comes into my home gets to go on and say they're Clausens. Right? Because then I don't want to be part of it. Right? Let's be honest. Church membership is all about a church taking specific responsibility for you and you for a church. It's true that a Christian must choose to join a church, but what does not, that doesn't make it a voluntary organization. We are, in fact, obligated to choose so that we can have that relationship, that close-knit relationship. God calls every Christian to attend, to love, to serve, to submit to a local church, and this happens in that membership. And you may ask, where do I get this from in the, Bi- in the Bible? Well, let's get into that. So the next point is this. Where is it in the Bible? So even as we define what a member is, we may be left still with this idea. Well, what does the Bible say? This is just a modern thing that we just came up recently in church history. The, the early church didn't have a concept of that. The early world didn't have a concept of that. But when we look at the Greco-Roman society that much of this New Testament is written in, they did have a concept of membership. See, the reasoning I'm used to, become, uh, I'm used to come to the conclusion that Christians shouldn't be... The, the reason why I used this conclusion, that Christians shouldn't use heroin, because we all agree on that, right? You shouldn't go shoot up. Right? We, we all understand that. So the same reasoning that I do that is the same reason I use the same reasoning I use for membership. I don't read anything in the Bible about heroin, right? But we agree that Christians should not do heroin. I can't read anything about it. 
Just as much as there's not a specific word in the Bible that says, you shall become a member of the church. But I do think the line from don't get drunk on wine to don't do cocaine or heroin is straight enough. In the same way, I think the line from Hebrews 13, 17 to submit to your elders or from Matthew 18, 17 to take it to the church to we should formally covenant together and call it membership is a pretty straight line. Maybe one that's even straighter. Who should we submit to? Every elder in the world, every, every elder in the city? Should we submit to bishops from another country or, or pastors in a local gathering? What about pastors? They'll have to give an account. I have to give an account for every single one of you. Did you know that? It's not something... When a pastor says they're a pastor, it's not something they take lightly. At least they shouldn't. Right? I have to stand before the throne of a holy God and give an account to you. So the question becomes, who should I give account to for? But who are those people? Will I have to give an account for all the Christians that live in this city? Or even in my neighborhood? I sure hope not. So walk with me as we see what the Bible does actually say about it. But how about this, the question of, isn't the idea of church membership just this modern Western idea? No, it's not. As I said before, even the Romans understood each citizen to be a member of their society. In the same way that our hands, eyes, feet, and, and so on are all members of our body, Paul addresses this very thought in 1 Corinthians 12, that we are all members of one body. See, the New Testament also talks about Christians being members of one another because they are members of the body of Christ. Romans 12, verse 5 says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one to, of another. In 1 Corinthians 5, verses 12 to 13, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? By the way, this is another sermon of our job of not judging people that aren't saved. It is, not those in, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person among you. Believers are responsible to judge the behavior of fellow believers, not that of unbelievers. And as Paul quotes Deuteronomy, the church's responsibility is the same as Israel's. God's people must remove from the community people who are deliberately and constantly disregarding the law of God. So how do we do that? How does this happen? Who has claimed that Christ is both Lord and Savior of their lives? Who have, we're called to judge, who have, those who have biblically proclaimed the, through baptism and submitted themselves to the Lord, uh, to the local church? The Bible is making it very clear line. And in 2 Corinthians 2, After Paul's brief, painful visit, he was very pained. He was hurt by his visit with the Corinthian church. And he literally gives the church a smackdown in a letter. And they're so shocked by Paul's response that they practice church discipline to this individual. We don't know exactly what happened, but we know it was pretty severe. 
And there was a demand that that person be punished and that the majority inflicted some unspecific penalty on that man. Now, the apostle calls for the church to end that penalty and reaffirm their love towards that man. We see this in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 5 to 6, which says this, Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. See, the church in Corinth excludes an unrepented sinner by the will of a majority. Did you see that? Even in our political system, we have the people that we have in our politics because they... Don't come and argue political science with me after, please. But the simplistic way, they won the majority. We have an understanding of that. There must have been a defined group of believers in order for this to happen, all of whom together had the right to act as the church. See, the New Testament explicitly refers to some people being inside the church and some people being outside the church. We see this in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 12 to 13. This is much more than a casual association. And again, the church in Corinth consistently consisted of a defined number of people, such that Paul could speak of inflicting a punishment on someone by a majority. Not only does the New Testament speak of the reality of the church membership, but it's dozens one another statements, think about all of them, are written to a local church, which fill out our understanding of what church membership should practically look like. As a family, the New Testament authors call believers to love one another, to bear with one another, to forgive one another, and more than 50 additional one another commands. The author of Hebrews writes to Christians, let us consider, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. How do I live out the one another's without knowing who is one another? How do I love and encourage? How do I have compassion, live in peace, be humble, greet, have the mind of Christ, be patient, pray for, speak songs to, forgive, bear in love if I don't know who the another is? See, throughout the Old Testament history, we also see God made clear distinctions between his people and the world. There's a clear line that is made between God's people and the world around them. There's even laws about how the people of God are supposed to treat those who are outside of the family of God with the respect that is due them as an image bearer of Christ or an image bearer of God to show more clearly what is God doing. My sister, I've used this illustration before, but my sister, uh, last summer, she's a teacher, so no knock on any teachers here. Uh, (laughs) But she she bought one of those paint-by-number paintings. And it's not like one of the ones you learn when you're a kid. You know, like, like the spaces are like this big, and there's only like three colors. It was one of these very complicated ones. So you're looking at it with all these squiggly lines everywhere with these little numbers, and you have no idea what it is looking at this 
thing, this piece of paper. But as she began to fill in each number with the color that it calls for, very quickly you began to see this beautiful picture of a, of a vase with flowers and a table and a background. See, my hope is that when we look at what the Bible says, that you, like, my, like this paints-by-number picture, will see these passages and they will begin to fill in the spots to make a beautiful picture of what meaningful membership really means. What does it mean to be a member of a church? It doesn't mean that you'd get the vote. That is an aspect of it, too. But that's not where it starts. Where it starts is just how we keep each other accountable and encourage each other to grow in Christ. The Bible paints a beautiful picture of how God defines membership. But so what? So the Bible tells me that I'm supposed to be a member of the local church. Well, maybe you don't even think that yet, but so what? I don't see why it's important. I'll give you six reasons. First one is your own assurance. It first helps us with our own assurance of our salvation. When you are brought into a membership of a Bible-believing, responsibly-led church, it gives affirmation and reinforces the confidence that you feel your faith is real. Think about it. When I can come up to someone and I can say, Roland, I see the grace of God working in your life. And not only am I telling you that, I'm affirming it in this membership together as I lock arms with you. Imagine what that does to your hearts. Life is full of doubts, is it not? Imagine what it would be like as a family we come along and we say that. It's, it's describing our spiritual union with Christ, our head. The second reason is this. The good of others. This is p- perhaps the most ov- often overlooked reason for joining a church. And our tendency to choose self-focus We think about the reason that we... uh, Why does it benefit me? Why? It's more about why should I be a member? But we overlook how our membership relates to other people. That's what the Bible has been talking about this whole time as I do these verses. How do we relate to one another? Our belonging somewhere establishes a base from which we can reliably care for others. There are two sides to church membership, and we can't keep others accountable for the good to a covenant we ourselves haven't taken. We can't practice the one another's of the Bible without being in that relationship of accountability. See, true love is not only manifested in affection and action, but also in allegiance, is it not? I was thinking, uh, I was talking with a a younger person on this, and I'm going to steal their illustration so they can forgive me about this later. But how many of you know someone or have been part of it yourself where you're in a dating relationship, but that individual on the other side of it has no intention of marrying you? They're just dating you. 
And then maybe they even probably say, why? I love you. Why do we need to be married? Think about how that made your friend or yourself feel. There's no allegiance there. There's no, as the Beyonce once said, put a ring on it. There's no commitment there. It's putting money where your mouth is. That's what this membership is saying. We do not fully love our brothers and sisters in Christ if we withhold pledging our allegiance to them by covenanting with them in a local church life. Love doesn't say, I love these people and I don't need to covenant with them. Rather, it says, I love these people enough to covenant with them. Living in a Christian life and community is more than just looking at loose associations. By committing to each other, to be there for each other when life is hard in sickness and in sorrow. Meaningful biblical membership confronts the idea of consumerism. It says, what is going on here is more than about you. The church is about a community and encouraging each other and admonishing each other and growing together. And when we are in membership together, we are saying things about Jesus that none of us can say individually. Do you understand that? Even in membership, it impacts our witness. Because when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, And how our loving of one another affects our witness to the world. When we, threw away, when we throw away meaningful membership, we don't just get the idea of commitment. We don't get the idea of commitment that the Bible talks about. Third reason is this. For your own good. There are benefits, right? The government says we're not allowed to give benefits to membership. But biblically, there is. On the flip side, it is for our own good to have others committed to genuinely and purposely caring for one another. And the people who will care for you best in the long run are those who are willing to commit to it. See, joining a church also formally identifies you as part of the flock, which the church leaders should shepherd. 1 Peter 5, verse 10. And to which they should pay careful attention to. Acts 20, verse 28. It is for your own good to be in an intentionally thoughtful and cared for by your leadership. It also holds us accountable. Fourth reason is this. It's the good of your leaders. Connected then is the clarity it brings for the leadership about who is in our lot. Who is those who we've put, uh, that we've been put in charge of? Who in particularly are, are they called to serve and to shepherd? In other words, your formally joining the church helps me. That helps me as a pastor and your deacons and your spiritual leaders to do our job. How are we to shepherd the flock if we don't know who's in the flock? Or who is not? It is difficult, if not impossible, to respect and esteem your leaders, as First Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 13 says, and honor them 
as 1 Timothy 5, verse 17 says, and obey and submit to them, as Hebrews 13, 17 says, without identifying yourself to them and submitting to the membership structure that allows them to know and care best for those in their charge. It's a little bit of a selfish plug there. But it's also for the good of unbelievers. There's a gospel element here. Another good reason for joining a church is that the good of those who are not there yet, even those who don't know Jesus, because we reach out and show Christ better as part of a committed, stable community. John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A lone ranger Christian doesn't make the best witness for Christ. Rather, someone who is grounded has a home and is part of a solid covenant community of support is better prepared to draw other people to the kingdom. And even in the complexities of our world, think about it. Our world is just like, sometimes I think about it and my head just hurts. Right? Like I was reading in the news not too long ago that someone was trying to petition the government to give personhood to a lake. To a lake. It's not even a person. We're okay with aborting babies, but we're going to give personhood to a lake. And I just scratched my head. I'm like, oh my Lord, Lord, have mercy on us. Right? The complexities of the world around us make it belonging to a local church as, as important as ever. Community is increasingly important in our, out, in our, in our witness today. As Christians who are truly faithful to the voice of Christ find themselves more and more in the minority of our society, we need other believers to help us. And this doesn't happen in a fly-by-night, uncommitted association. It happens in a deep, committed, long-standing, life-together relationship in this time-tested arrangement called the local church. It's also for our own perseverance. Finally, covenanting with others now, not to let you wander. It doesn't. Uh, it stops us from wandering from the gospel. It helps keeps us accountable. See, how often do we need someone to come alongside of us and smack us on the side of the head and say, "Hey, look, the road that you're going down, not a good road. Come back this way." That happens in membership. In a good church covenant, we yoke ourselves to accountability while we're in, in our right minds. Before you go crazy. We do that while we're in our, in, our, in our right minds in case someday sin gets a foothold in our hearts and blinds us to the truth. Church discipline is hard, but it's good. And it happens in membership. So what? What? What are we describing in membership is our spiritual union with Christ, our head. And as we are united with Jesus, we are united with one another. Members become this visible expression of the spiritual unity which God does through Christ and by the Holy Spirit. It is this physical representation of the moving of God's grace that we have been moved from objects of God's wrath to children of God. 
It's a picture of the redemption of Christ. That we have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I love that song. I love it how it's upbeat too. As we attend, as we love, as we serve, as we submit to one another. This happens in membership. What I want to say to you is what another pastor has said before me. So I'm quoting him. So get mad at him. (laughs) Friend. And this is to members. Friend, by joining this church, you will become jointly responsible for whether or not this congregation continues to faithfully proclaim the gospel. That means you will become jointly responsible both for what this church teaches as well as whether or not its members' lives remain faithful. And one day you will stand before God and give an account for how you use this authority. Will you sit back and stay anonymous, doing little more than passively showing up for the 75 minutes on a Sunday? Yeah, it's about 75 minutes. Or will you jump in with the hard and rewarding work of studying the gospel, building relationships, and making disciples? We need more hands for the harvest. So we hope you'll join us in that work. Folks, I want to be a church that faithfully proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need members who are solidly footed on the gospel so that we can proclaim the gospel. Membership is when members who have covenanted together use their gifts to serve the local church body. Yes, you know, it does mean you use your giftings. You know, I was sitting there figuring out the, compu- the TV out there because, uh, you know, there's something. That's, I just like doing that stuff. Right? It's who I am. It's like, ooh, technology. Hmm. Right? If I had it my way, it would be like talking and then, anyways, it would be awesome. It does mean you use your giftings for the betterment of the church. So when you become a member of a church, you're saying, you serve me and I will serve you. You stick with me and I will stick with you. You sin against me and I'll forgive you and vice versa. It's a covenant together to remain together as a church. So we believe a healthy church really depends upon a healthy church membership. Remember your need for a baseball glove. I'm not saying that it's not possible to play baseball without a glove. You could use your hands or your hat for a bit. You can attempt to play shortstop or first base by trying to catch the ball with your hand or with that hat, but there will be a time pretty quickly that you're going to really wish you had a baseball glove. I'm not saying that you can't be a Christian without being a member in a church, but there will come a time when you're really going to want to be one. This is much like church membership. You may be able to not be part of a local church family for some time, even be part of a community for a bit, but there will be a time when you really wish you had locked arms with other people. Have you ever thought about this? 
I have a couple of memberships in my wallet. Costco membership, gym membership, which cancel each other out, by the way. (laughs) But it wasn't even a thought. I didn't think second about it. When we moved here, we got up, and the goal was to become a member of the Y so that we could somehow get fitter. And then we became members of Costco because, man, Costco's awesome. <laughs> Just the snacks alone. I didn't even think about it. That's just what I did. I became a member. In fact, I pay for that. But when it comes to church membership, for some reason, there's such a hostility towards it. The Bible talks about it, paints a beautiful picture of what it's supposed to look like. And what we need, and because it paints a picture of what it's supposed to be like, it gives us a clear understanding of how to get there. But for some reason, we're so hostile towards that, but we'll quickly go and get a Costco membership. Or we'll quickly go to the Y or to the gym. And those aren't even biblical things. In our flighty and noncommittal age, Neither non-Christian nor Christians are naturally inclined to find a place to put down roots and to make long-standing objective commitments for the good of others. We want to keep our options open. Right? I, I actually feel this sometimes. I remember when I was younger, we were recently married, and, a fr- and someone in the church invited me over to... to co- I actually did this. I, I confess it to you. They invited me over to, to watch the Super Bowl. And I said, oh, I think we've got some plans. I had nothing. But in the back of my head, I was waiting for something better. And we apply the same thought here. We want to keep our options open and, above all, preserve our own freedom of choice rather than make a covenant for a long haul and embrace a framework for real life in all its ups and downs. You know, anytime I've been a pastor for a while now, and anytime someone says to me, Pastor Nate, uh, I don't think this church is for me. I'm going to go somewhere else. My comments are always the same. I pray that you will find a local church that will encourage you in your walk with Christ. That's what I want. I want people to grow in Christ. We want to be a church of disciples making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is what we want. That is my heart. I pray that Norwood is that place for you, and I encourage you. What if you, want, what if you went against the grain and became part of the solution to the modern problem of being so noncommittal? What if you join the rebellion and pledge your loyalty and engagement to a Bible-believing, gospel-cherishing local church? We, always, we have this messed up mentality of what a rebel is. You want to be a rebel? Do what Jesus tells you to do, and you'll stand out like no one else's business. Everyone will see you, and you'll make much of him in the process. So church membership, 
in simple terms, is when God calls every Christian to attend, to love, to serve, to submit to a local church. And this happens in church membership. I do pray uh, at some point that you will see the need to have that glove. I come before you as someone who used to argue against the need for church membership. So if you want to come and argue with me about it, I'm all for it. I already know your arguments because I did it. I was there. But as I study the word of God, it becomes clearer and clearer to me. God calls every Christian to attend, to love, to serve, to submit to a local church. And this happens in membership. I pray that you feel like you can lock arms with me. That we would come together with this call to go and make disciples of all nations. That we would charge against the rusty gates of hell itself together. Locking arms together to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins. That he has shown us so much love and grace. That we can show each other that same love that God has lavished upon us together. Let us continue to worship him.